Well, it's all over. It was nice while it lasted. Manchester City are back on top of the table and Haaland has found his goal-scoring mojo again. There's always next year, Arsenal fans. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Liverpool finally won a game. Manchester City are starting to peak and VAR makes all the headlines. Should it stay or should it go? That's the big question with VAR. Uh, I know certainly what side of the fence I'm on there. Okay, let's start with the clash. Actually, no, Neil. Let's not start with the clash the other day. There was a Paddy Power advert out. You, you, you guided me towards this Paddy Power uh, advert this morning. I hadn't seen it. It just give us a little bit of what it's all about. Yeah, so this uh, popped up on the social media uh, in the morning. I, you know, Paddy Power, you, you kind of take them a bit tongue in cheek, but uh, they seem to round up anyone and everyone who were wronged by City in the last few years, given that City have been found to be cheating and they're going to be stripped of titles and FA Cups and league winners. But the two most amusing ones on it were uh, Enrique off Liverpool. He was shining up the <laughs> cup and he was showing around to all his friends and he was in bars and people were coming over and asking for pictures with it. And then the, the best one was Tony Pulis. It was like, you know, don't mind family, don't mind friends. There's not many people have an FA Cup medal and parading a medal. <laughs> it was actually, it was, it was actually, uh, don't mind kids. Everyone has kids. No one has a cup, <laughs> a cup medal. <laughs> yeah, and then he had to, he had the little winner sticker over the medal that he put on yeah, himself. It yeah, Absolutely yeah, it's good. Brilliant. So if you get a chance to watch the uh, Paddy Power advert, it's it's a good watch. Uh, do watch that. Okay, listen, Dave, we're going to start with the City game against Arsenal. That was only last night from recording here. Do City have they scored really a huge psychological victory here? Not just the three points, but yeah. psychologically, this could damage Arsenal, couldn't it? Yeah, because what you have to remember is it wasn't just last night they bet them what a week and a half ago in the FA Cup as well. So whatever doubts or potential doubts they had, they kind of hammered them home last night. And then little things like mistakes that Arsenal made for the goals and City punished them. Arsenal were playing quite well, but City found another gear and then capitalized on mistakes. And three one always looks intimidating, especially in the Emirates. Now they're now they're back joint top. Yes, Arsenal have a game in hand, and then off the back to the fact that they tightened up in their draw last week, and then obviously the defeat to Everton. You know whatever confidence they had has definitely took a beat now, and it's it's vital then that they pick it up at the weekend, regardless to have uh, to make sure that it is stays a two horse race. Uh, if rumours are to be believed by every fan of football. Neil, Jorginho is a fault here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching is that just a coincidence, is it? Yeah, I mean, look, you, you'll always blame the new guy in the in the door, but uh, I was watching the Arsenal TV and they were not over-critical, but Enkedia uh, up front because obviously the chances fell to him. They seemed to kind of say, look, they took their chances. They weren't massive. Ch-. If you look at Haaland, it was kind of almost a self-made chance the way he took that quick touch and then scored. Uh, but they were a little bit critical of Enkedia, the fact that he had the chances for them and wasn't able to put them away. But look, at small margins that win these games. Isn't that the way it's always been the last few years? You'd miss out by the smallest detail and that seems to cost you. Uh, I wouldn't have said Jorginho. I thought Arsenal had a decent game and they had their chances in that game. Maybe more so when they rue it the day after. They look back thinking it could have been us quite easily, but they let them slip by, unfortunately. 
Dave, if you, if you mark Holland the way they marked Holland on the goals, which was non-existent, mm. you're going to get punished. How can you leave a centre forward who is the top goal scorer, who has 25 goals, I think at that time, or 26 goals, I can't remember, and then they leave him free in between with five yard space in between two a fullback and a central defender or two central defenders I can't remember which one it was it's I mean it's it's just football suicide isn't it yeah it's sinful and obviously I assume you're asking the question I have images of the all or nothing last year they obviously do a lot of video work but then they do video work at half time so they would have been well prepared for this guy and one of, and we all are well prepared even though we're not even in the bloody game you give him room like it, like you're, you've got Kevin De Bruyne and others they'll find him and he does one thing and that score goals it, 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 exactly it so players have to take the blame and then it's like are they taking strange instruction from the manager is there a bit of a like that's what's weird about it it's like they're, they're, there's there's no covering up on this it's just bad form no matter how tired you are or whatever you know you have to be switched on and make sure you're blocking the passing lanes as best as possible to him because the supply line the supply cutting off the supply line is the ultimate way to stop him other than that or the baseball bat you know yourself and um yeah look when you see that happening you're going to get punished because you've got these creative midfielders and it's not just uh your de bruyne's there's plenty of guys who can find them absolutely that all or nothing uh, it was interesting. Some of the stuff that Arteta was doing in it. The, do you remember yeah. the part where he put "You Never Walk Alone" on <laughs> in the yeah. training ground, and they yeah. had to train in that atmosphere? So maybe for the return leg against Man City, they'll train in an empty stadium. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Neil, do you think that like there needs to be a win? I think Arsenal are playing Aston Villa this weekend. Yeah. Do they need to get the three points in this game because it's it's going to be huge and can they go on now is this you know you always have a year where you kind of challenge you're nearly there but it's nearly the following year that you go on and win it do you see that with Arsenal yeah and I mean someone was saying last night on one of the, the presenter channels that they were uh, the youngest or one of the youngest in the league at the moment it's in their average age which kind of tells you they might still be one for the future um, I'm a big believer in the fact that like Leicester aside let's be honest um, they were a kind of a one-off but I think you need to kind of cut your teeth you need to get near enough you need to kind of run it close and maybe sometimes feel that kind of defeat on the last kind of innings and then you come good then the year after um but for this weekend they absolutely need the three points it doesn't matter what way it comes they don't have to bat to the team they don't have to play them off the park they need a positive result because that's a lot of what's that like is it nine eight or eight out of twelve whatever it is you know they're in a bad bad way they need to pick up a win uh through any method possible with any team they need to stop that rot before it it turns into a bigger issue and we're sitting here in a week's time saying arsenal haven't won in four games which would be odd you know yeah, um, I, I listen. I do think they'll turn it around. The, the quality, some of the players in that in that team are outstanding, especially going f- forward. So I, I don't see it as a problem, and I think Arteta is good enough to to turn them around psychologically. I think he's a good man, uh, man manager. So yeah, I can absolutely see them turn it around. If it's my opinion, I do think that City are going to go on and win it. But uh, listen, it's it's easy to be proven wrong in this game now. Neil, I'm going to stick with you. Liverpool came out on top of the Merseyside derby. Was this an improvement from Liverpool or just a better team of the two that are struggling a bit at the moment? Um, I, I think there was a combination of things happen. It's something about Everton when they travel to Anfield. 
they they lack a certain belief or they lack a certain caution to the wind. And if you look at the way Liverpool have been turned over this year, Brentford is the prime example. Brighton was the prime example. That's the way you get at Liverpool. You overflow them in the midfield. You overpower them. You run past their midfielders. Everyone comes out at the end of the game saying, you know, Liverpool's three midfielders are knackered and ready for the knackers yard. And the next thing you know, we're in a rut. Everton didn't do that. Everton played four kind of defensive-ish midfielders and White McNeil in the middle across a five. They sat back. They allowed Liverpool comfortable possession and Liverpool were just the better team on the day because one of them lacked desire. I don't know whether Deich went to go there for that kind of last 10, 15 minute kind of cameo that he tends to do with, with what our tend to do with Burnley. And in the last, you know, you might be only a goal up and then in the last 10, 15 minutes, he literally launches the kitchen sink at you and he makes it a very, very uncomfortable uh, method of viewing for the Liverpool fans. But this just lacked a little bit of balls, I want to say. And I thought this was, you know, there was a guy in work telling me he was travelling. Now he's a United supporter travelling over for the Everton game to be in the Everton end. Um and I thought it was amusing. And I said, you know what? You couldn't have picked a better game because really, really worried about this game. I thought Liverpool were there for the taking off a terrible run of results. There's a fragility there. And I don't think for even five minutes of the game, I was worried to say, yeah, we're in trouble here. I think Liverpool took control and Everton, I think, missed a huge chance. Do you think, Dave, that John Deutsch maybe thought too much about this game? Uh, he didn't stick to his own principles, which has gotten through mm. the Bournemouth game. They played an awful lot of ball out from the back and didn't have the skill set to play through the midfield, where normally with Burnley, you, you expect them to go a little bit longer, especially when they put Ellis up front. He was yeah. supposed to be the man. He, he Very, very, I suppose, doesn't have the experience but you thought, right, he's going to muscle them about. But he never really got the opportunity and then he never got the support either. So, I just thought he got his tactics wrong. I thought he tried to play football at the wrong moment. Yeah, I definitely think like some people. Obviously, it, I think it's the easy thing to do is to have a go at the at the at that. Uh, is it Ellis James or James? What's his name? James Ellis or Ellis James? I'm getting it mixed up. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it'd be very it's unfair. Ellis. To, I think it's James Ellis. I think it's Ellis. Exactly. I think it's very unfair to pick on him without a shadow of a doubt because he didn't get the service. I was very surprised he started. Like, don't get me wrong. I've had my opinion on Mope. You know. I think he is an effective player, but he's not your go-to goal scorer. Um, but that says a lot. I think it's pretty damning. But, uh, you know, to try and be a bit more of a, a cult, Jesus, there, that's how wrong we are. It's Ellis Sims. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Say with confidence anyway. And uh, I, mean, I need to find out who the Ellis James is. Is there such a thing? But anyway, um, to kind of play, almost try like a cultured game with just beggared belief, like, and... You know, Liverpool don't like the long ball. They don't like the bit of pressure. You pop it in over Alexander Ireland. We all know what you could and should be doing. And they played right into their hands. Liverpool did play quite well. They're not, I wouldn't say they're back or anything like that, but it was a better performance than normal. But to see how they played, but more importantly, to not really lay a glove on uh, Liverpool, considering Sean Dyche as well, and it's a Mersey derby, was very surprising. And then to see them bluff it, for that stupid handbags moment between Robertson and and Pickford. I counted down to three. I went three, two, one. They're scrappy do. And of course they're calling it the big one. And Cody. And it's like that was the only time they showed some fight in the whole thing. Yeah. And there was no need for it. It was ridiculous. Um and that was the epitome in it. As much as I'm happy with how Liverpool played, I was very surprised and disappointed with uh Everton not really showing up, which is probably it's further proof why they are where they are. 
Absolutely, yeah. They didn't they didn't lay a glove on them, and that was really disappointing. Uh, it wasn't yeah. a match that had my full attention uh, once it was going through the yeah. second half. Um, I wouldn't call it disappointing, now, right? From a Liverpool thing. perspective, sorry, Dave. Yeah, go on. I say from a Liverpool perspective, Gakpo no, no, kind of finally came out of his shot. Uh, came out of his uh, shell, I'd say. All of a sudden, he got a goal, and then he showed a turn of pace that you hadn't seen. Salah had to chest out because he got a goal because Pickford was in just the craziest position I've ever seen a goalkeeper in a cross. But it, that will do wonders for them now. Will it do wonders for them or do you run into Newcastle at five o'clock on Saturday evening and then the corner that you think you've turned, you run into a brick wall? So that's the test for Liverpool now. It's not Everton. Everton was a stumbling block. They've gotten over that. They've got a little bit of momentum, but they have to bring it on to the next game. Yeah, yeah. Dave, what about the takeover at Liverpool or a potential takeover at Liverpool? Is that distracting? Is that like I know it's happening at Manchester United as well. But the fans are kind of, because it's a, a bit of a lull, mm. fans are kind of thinking, well, God, we'd like to have this rush through now. Maybe this will get us back onto the right track again. Who would you like to see come in? Who would you like not to see come in? And um, what do you think about the whole thing? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. And I, and I think there is a bit of a, a bit of panic in it because obviously United are uh, batting their eyelids to, fair, uh, to suitors as well. And, there's rumors of like um, silent partners coming in at 50 50. Then there's full blown takeovers. Liverpool seems to be a little bit more murky um, compared to, say, United. It's just outright buying out. And obviously, if it is the Qatari investment group, is there an issue between United and, say, PSG, PSG and conflict of interest? But with Liverpool's, it's a bit of a funny one. There's different rumors. And then, of course, even Spurs, one came out of left field with Spurs with some. I, Iranian American billionaire putting in three billion, so that's going to crank up the kind of tension because obviously they'll be panicking that they're that far behind at the moment on the pitch. Mm. And then you've got Chelsea throwing the money around, Newcastle eventually throwing them, and now you potentially have Spurs and, and United in the mix. And we're back to where we used to be, going, "Geez, are we ever going to see Liverpool win the league again?" And all that kind of crack. So, who do you want? <sighs> Look, you know, it's one of these things. You. you who, whoever's a billionaire, are they really all that ethic? If you know what I mean, they would have, no matter who they are, sh- surely they've done something a bit dodgy or ropey to get their money, no matter who you think they are, whether they're Middle Eastern or whether they're this well to do American. You know, they usually do something nasty if you look at them all. So when you look at Newcastle, Dave, they seem to be going the sensible way down yeah. through what they're, 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 the, the process that they're looking and, yeah. and their goal that they're looking to reach. You want someone to come in who has that kind of, yeah. not a Chelsea look about them, but more a Newcastle. Uh, ultimately, that's what you want. You want, if there is money people, yes, cash the checks, but let the football people, and sensible predict and, and, and practical football people do the work. Like Because if you have that much money, you will get to the top um, with, your, with patience and doing it the right way instead of just, He's, uh, this guy's going to see, right, let's pay 150 million for him and we'll over we'll outbid them and just do fancy football and then have 25 new players and Graham Potter's pulling his arrow is trying to find a good 11. Um, so that's the way I'd like to see it. Obviously, the way Newcastle are doing it, where no matter who the owners are and what, what you think of them, they are definitely going about it in the right way. And whatever, whatever happens with Newcastle this year, uh, it, even if they slip out of the Champions League, I'd still be watching over my shoulder if I was above them because they're, they're coming and that's just the way it is. Yeah, Neil, are you happy with Jurgen Klopp? 
Yeah, I, I, I do you know what it is, Roy. I, I still have a couple of guys I work with and whatnot, and one or two of them would say, oh, look, Klopp has to go. Now, not even based on the last year results, even before that, they felt that he was running out of steam and that, you know, they start this seven-year itch thing and all that lark. But um, for me, if you're looking at any, if any of the top, say, six or the usual top six uh, teams in England now, lost their manager uh, look look at Chelsea as a prime example Tuchel gets moved out and the next available option is Graham Potter but say for example United lost a manager tomorrow City lost a manager Chelsea lost a manager all of a sudden there isn't that amount of big name managers that can turn a club into what Klopp has done in the last few years and I don't care who they are I just think he's the perfect fit he always was the perfect fit possibly from day one I don't think you can't be as naive to think you're going to bring in another guy who's going to get the city, get the fans, get them going, and to be able to do it on a budget, as you were just saying there, when you have all these powerhouses coming in and buying up players, you know, it's a much, much harder task when the likes of the Chelsea man- uh, or well, owner goes around throwing that kind of money around. How do you compete with that? So Klopp has proven he can do it. He's proven he can do it. It's not on a shoestring budget, don't get me wrong, but it's clever signings, signings that, you know, a lot of other people take note of and you don't want to let that guy go. Now, there comes a time where everyone has to leave. I just think now is not the time to be thinking that the manager has to go. I'd love to see him get this summer in particular and really get back to see what he can do with another year Um, because once he's gone, he's gone and you'll have lost. So you only given him a year now? Well, yeah, if he gets through the year, I'm hoping it goes up and on and onwards. I'd love to see him, you know, God forbid, if Pep ever called it a day, Klopp might have a couple more titles than the rest of them. But um, yeah, no, I'd love to get, I'd love to see him there for another couple of years. And again, allow him to build another team um, before you go away, because once yeah. he's gone, you may never see the likes of that again. And that's it, Dave. The teams like this, they, they go in cycles, don't they? You've yeah. seen it. Like I remember with Manchester United that they fin- had to finish a, a, a second and a third at one stage under Ferguson, which was felt like an eight for a Manchester United team. Yeah. But then, you know, he brought got rid of other players and brought in new younger players. And, and that's how we did it. It was kind of an evolution and, and probably just the same for Liverpool. Exactly. Like, and... and- you know, we've seen it a year or two ago and we've mentioned it once or twice that the team are kind of aging together at the same time. And that's why we wanted that one player change almost every window, just so it's not done in one fell swoop. But obviously it has to be at this stage. But as Neil said there, I would love to see Klopp stick around and just have one last dance, so to speak, just to put a bit of on the top, because Liverpool have been excellent. But unfortunately, I've only got one league trophy to show for it because like City have just been that one percent better, you know. But uh, and, and and it'd be a shame for him to if that was the if that was the case. So it'd be great to just to see him maybe get to the top one more time, just to say yeah, I was that good, you know. Because obviously two is looks better than one, and people say like if he finished and people and he only won one league title, you'd probably say one league title with a bit of an asterisk because two or three seasons were pretty special, but just obviously yeah. still not good enough to to get it. Yeah, it's amazing what way that history tells it. No, <laughs> absolutely not, Dave. <laughs> That's, you're right. Uh, listen, we'll go on to the Champions League before we start getting bitter with each other. The Champions League was back and uh, Neil, PSG, what do they have to do to look like a team that's going to go all the way? Mbappe, come on, change the game for them a little bit. But other than that, this is a club that should be dominating Europe, just like City should be dominating Europe, but they're just not. 
Yeah. Um, do you know, McManaman and uh, his co-commentator were, were having a bit of a joke saying, is, the, is this manager the guy that can bring a Champions League title? And McManaman went, well, it won't be down to the manager. It'll be a question of can the players not fall out with the manager in time for them to win a Champions League title? And it's crazy. I don't understand why PSG get away with this. No other club in the world that I know of, even Madrid in their pomp when they were buying every player in the Galacticos, you never felt that the players had the power that the Paris Saint-Germain players have. And no. that's Mbappe, that's Messi, and that's Neymar. Um, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's not the aspect of football I like to see. And another quote last night was, oh, hopefully this is the guy and hopefully this is the team and they win it. And I couldn't help but think, I really hope they don't. I don't ever want to see them win it. There's just something so unlikable about the way they play, the way they are so selfish. They don't work as a team. And any sort of football that I would want to play, be associated with, manage, coach, watch, I want to see that team ethic and that team spirit win. Um, Now, Paris Saint-Germain did it last night for the last, what was it, 15 minutes where they decided to throw a little bit of caution to the wind. They threw on not just Mbappe, but Ruiz. Um, and a left winger, I can't think of his name now, but they were outstanding and they turned the table on a whim and they're possibly also the only team that can do something like that, that they can introduce a guy that completely reverses the previous 75 minutes of pure and utter dominance that Bayern had and all of a sudden you walk away thinking, wow, that could have been a draw. So they are a bit of an enigma, but they're not really, to my liking, that I want to wax lyrical about them. I, I'd... Mbappe would infuriate me watching him in the Liverpool short as much as he would delight me by the 15 or 12 minutes a game that he decides to turn it on. I just don't get why he can't be a 90-minute player. Um, Messi the same, or uh, Neymar the same. They're just a strange, strange team to watch at times. But the game itself was entertaining last night, I guess, for them reasons. Dave, they have Messi, they have Neymar, and they have Mbappe, albeit Mbappe was on the bench. For Argentina to win a World Cup and have Messi in the team, they needed 10 other workhorses around the pitch. Paris Saint-Germain have, well, I'd say two and a half. I think Mbappe works a little bit harder than, than those two. Yeah. But say two and a half to three players that are all similar in their work ethic. Maybe brilliant going forward and do what they do. But you can't win a league like that. You can't. Well, you can in France, but you can't win a Champions League like that. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of what I was thinking that as Neil was talking, like that they probably need to put all their was it all the all their rings in the hat or all the hats in the ring for one of them and then get the support act. You know, if you get the right support act around say Mbappe, you might get the full 90 minutes out of Neil because there's no denying his quality. Same with Messi, you know, it depends on who you want to be. It's clear, it's quite clear now they've been there long enough that the three of them don't work together, which is a shame. They're three super players, and you'd you'd love to see them click and love playing with each other and enjoy sharing 25 goals each and all that kind of crack. But they they quite clearly don't, and the egos are in the way. But I think that's the only way you're going to see PSG. There's going to be one or two star, like one or two names that you wouldn't necessarily expect there to go, but they will be the stars of the show because they'll do the unassuming hard work to bring, say, obviously it should be Mbappe because he's the future more so than than Messi and Neymar, and potentially get rid of the t- the two and go right. We're we're going to build a team for you and show up and we'll get glory. But um, I think that's the biggest thing about about it. Um, that's the way I think it's going to work for them because as long as they're all together, I'd be shocked to see them lift that trophy. 
Yeah, I'm shocked to see Neymar still there. I'm not sure what he has done for PSG when it comes to Champions League. Uh, He'd be gone straight away for me. Uh, Messi is a quality player. We know he is, but you need all those workers around him. So it would have to be an Mbappe centre forward and a Messi in behind. And then you have eight other really working hard yeah, Rodrigo players. Rodrigo or something because he yeah. seems to worship the ground that Messi walks on and he puts in some shit for Argentina. I yeah. get him straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, I think there needs to be a, a change in, in what way they uh, put out their team. Okay, listen, I, I haven't heard this, Neil, and you can fill me in. I don't know why I haven't heard this, but this is about Pep's apology. Yeah, so this was an interesting one during the week. Um, obviously, Pep had to face the, the journalists after all the accusations last week. And the question on her lips were, is he going to come out all guns blazing? Is he going to walk away? Is he going to take responsibility or what's he going to do? And he came out fighting and fighting he did. And one of the many, many quotes he made about, is it our fault? Are we being judged wrongly? Are we to blame for everything and then all of a sudden he just out of nowhere went are we to blame for Steven Gerrard slipping at Anfield and losing the title which did not go down very well in a lot of quarters now as it happened then 24 hours later obviously the PR team kicked in and Pep got a bit of a kick in the backside and he had to kind of they had it down as a groveling apology where he had to come out in front of the cameras and say look I've rang Steven Gerrard I've talked to Steven Gerrard I've apologized to Steven Gerrard but just to let all of you now know how much of a great guy I am, I have to let you know that I also apologize to Steven Gerrard. So <laughs> to me, it was like, you know, after the fact, it's like getting a kick in the nuts and then a guy going, I'm really, really sorry about that. Listen, are you okay? It was a bit sickening that he mentioned it in the first place. And you know, Pep, it's premeditated because he wanted it to sting. He picked a moment that he knew would hit home. And then equally as disgusting to see him climb down and then pretend that it was all I respect him I've told him everything respected in his career when you've literally kicked that guy where he would like <laughs> do you think it was premeditated because like it was a, it was a pressurized uh, interview or press conference that they were having all focus was on him but it wasn't in the way that he loves normally where everyone's lapping all over him about how great his team are uh, this was being listen I'm going to attack your club I'm going to attack we're, we're going to attack you we're going to ask questions you don't want to ask and he probably really and truly did not want to be out there he didn't and in fairness to him he he did defend himself and he started off in the regard of there's a lot of CEOs and a lot of owners out there that if you're going to point a finger at us you need to have a long hard look at yourselves and he kind of alluded to Chelsea in particular the way they spend money and he went on and on and on and then it ended up in this regard where he felt look I'm going to fight my corner are we to blame for x and y and z but he chose the perfect analogy at that time so if it wasn't mentioned to him or listen maybe he went ad lib but if he went ad lib to think of it at that moment uh, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit as a wine merchant. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was it was perfectly spoken and it was perfectly delivered. That's why I think there must have been a little bit of premeditation behind it. Okay, Sam Smith was uh, all the talk over the last Mine week. Fails. For, Mine for, fails. For, for numerous regions, reasons. Um, there was a meme going around today where he had 
it, it said Sam Smith in another outrageously disappointing outfit and he was dressed head to toe in Spurs gear. Dave, Spurs... I've, I've, seen, it, I've seen it with everything gear. <laughs> everything gear, Spurs, Spurs are uh, just being dreadful as normal against AC Milan. They just... There's there's nothing about them. Is it is the problem with Spurs that Conte is trying to play in a system, a shape, and in a way that suits players of a better quality than the players that he has himself. Eric Dyer being one of them. Oh, yeah, Eric Dyer like at the it. weekend. Eric Dyer at the weekend, and I actually I couldn't believe it. I nearly fell over when Shearer actually pointed it out because he was shocking for two goals and the way he just let two free shots and two free shots with professional footballers what do you expect is going to happen on the edge of the box and it was a god awful and i couldn't believe he pointed out and he's been doing that a couple of on a couple of occasions not just this season for his whole second career yeah. anyway i was listening to a podcast with tony Pulis last week and you kind of hit the nail on the head for what he said he said uh, i can't remember who he was quoting but he said if you want to be a good coach you get good players and he says the problem with most coaches is they want to coach like a Premier League team and they're in Division One in the Sunday League in Essex. You have to yeah. you have to coach like a Division One in Sunday League in Essex. So with Conte, his system, how good, bad, or indifferent it is, if he doesn't have the players, he can't play it. Now Skip and the other guy came in and actually were two of their better players, even though they probably don't have played all that much. And that says a hell of a lot, though. Do you know what I mean? So I definitely would say, without a shadow of a doubt, whatever's whatever he's trying to do is not clearly working at the minute and make some tweaks. It's as simple as that or find the right personnel that you have in your squad. But uh, without a shadow of a doubt, it's, it's, it's just, that's why they're where they are. It's middle of the road. They win some, they lose some, they'll turn up at the weekend then be poor again next week. And you just, every time you think they're going to come good, they don't because it's just a few too many round, um, trying to put round pegs in square holes. Yeah. Before Conte came in, Dyer was playing centre midfield. He wasn't playing in a centre back role. Dipped in every now and again. Uh, Neil, he's always been a midfielder, a defensive midfielder. Not a great one. I, I'm not sure where uh, why everyone loves him so much. Uh, listen, he's a good footballer. He's playing in the Premier League. Blah, 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 blah. But for the Premier League and for you to go on to Champions League, I don't think he's at that standard. Now he's going into centre back, which isn't his preferred position. And he's doing no better there. Is Conte basically throwing him and his team under the bus, selecting players out of position like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he's the centre of the centre-backs as well, which is arguably your most important pillar of your team. We always talk about the spine of the team, like he's your centre-centre-back. Um, if you look at Ten Hag, take a leaf out of his book, he immediately came into that club and he axed Harry Maguire in ice-cold fashion. And it didn't matter who was fit, be it Luke Shaw went in ahead of him. I mean, that's how badly he's fallen. And that's how much Ten Hag wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to fall into that trap. And I think I, I put the comment in there, did he feature for, for uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, as in Dyer? I was trying to rack my brains thinking, did he hang his his, uh, his, his cap on him as well? But I, I can't help but agree with Dave. He's one of these guys that you always feel has a massive mistake in him. And a couple of games ago, wasn't he taking the ball and trying to play a ball to the, to the well, the left-sided centre-back and putting the ball over his own end line and stuff like he mm. does horrendously bad things. And I was just racking my brains trying to think there. I remember David Luiz played for Chelsea and Rafa put him in midfield because he couldn't have him in the back line. He was asked about that and he said, there's a mistake in him. Therefore, less mistakes if he's playing in front of me back line, which is 
exactly the problem, isn't it? You're 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 setting yourself up for failure playing a guy like Eric Dyer and Spurs for all their, you know, I know they don't break the bank with their signings. They sign a lot of nice bench players, but they need to sign someone that's going to go in and But Neil, any manager that goes into any other job nearly always seems to bring one or two youth players out of their system and they normally give them that extra burst. I know, I know Manchester United have big academy and all, but they always seem to, Ten Hag's come in now and he's just brought in younger players and there's hunger there and there's, there's obviously quality and, and surely Spurs have some sort of quality in their academies under 19s, whatever it is, that they can fit someone into their squad now at this stage. When was the last time someone came through? Yeah, just looking at the lineup there is in on the bench should I against Milan and they have Davidson Sanchez, who we all know about, and Tanganga, who was kind of getting his game here and there, maybe as a right centre back rather than a centre uh, a middle of the centre tree. Um but they don't seem to be able to make that next step. Um now to be fair for defenders, it's probably the hardest position in a back three of of blooding that kind of young centre back. And generally in the top four to top six clubs, it's really, really difficult to get in there. Um, but Spurs definitely haven't found an answer. Um, now, that said, Dyer doesn't come under a lot of criticism. As Dave said, it, it's unbelievable that he keeps getting away with it. Maybe the English factor is there, the fact that they don't want to openly criticise one of their own. But Jesus, he seems just like a, a red flag to me every time you watch him. Yeah. OK, listen, the Europa League was on tonight and an absolutely fantastic game, Dave, uh, between Barcelona and Manchester United. It's the kind of game that you want to see every weekend, uh, especially on Monday Night Football when, you know, and Norwich are playing Sheffield United or something like that. But it's it's just end to end and it could have been 6 huh? Yeah, like, thankfully, the two teams gave the game the respect it deserved. Obviously, both like Barcelona are top of the their own league. United are potentially gonna grab onto the coattails of the two lads and maybe try and throw a span in the works. But they both went full throttle. They both wanted to win this, and they both went at it. You know, it could have been five two up at one point for United. They were getting the better chances, but then it swung the other way around. And the fact that it's two two going into Old Trafford, hopefully, it's much of the same next week. Rashford again done very well, caused some awful problems. The guy is flying at the minute. Uh, across the board but uh, yeah definitely Barcelona finished the stronger but just a cracking end to end game for a neutral and uh, more the same next week and obviously some last late late drama and and long may it continue how do you or Dave how do you rate Rashford um I've always liked him it's just he's been so hot and cold and it it is the last six inches the top six inches of his body that I think has been his problem like I I've often remembered once or twice when we talk about certain players and who you like, and I've always seen it in him. He's bags of pace. He has the skill, but I always found if he had too much time or he had too much time to think, that's what's his, that's what's his failure. He's a very instinctive player. I mean, he doesn't have much time. I find that's when he's at his best. There was a famous one, one of the games where they were poor in Anfield and he, he ran he broke the line of defence, which was obviously high, and he had half the pitch to run. And I didn't care because I knew what had happened. And I don't even think he hit the target. I don't know. I don't even think he had a shot. Whatever happened, the brain just gave up. But the guy has plenty in the tank and he's plenty of skill. And then last year, which what I found interesting, they must have known something, but practically every commentator were hinting at there's something up with Marcus Rashford mm. outside of football. They all hinted at it in a lot of games. And it's like, right, they must know something. They're not saying it now. And he is flying. I think it's probably because the year before he had a good season or mm. when under Solskjaer, then when Ranjek came in, 
kind of that season, whatever was happening, he yeah. fell apart. And of course, a year is a long time to to have to, to play terrible football. Mm. So then that kind of is perceived that he's been playing terrible for years, mm. which he hasn't really been. No. He may have not been as consistent, like you're saying, as he is now this year. But that's probably an evolution of, of a footballer. Uh, Neil, when you look at Rashford, is he someone that can be constant goal scorer for, for Manchester United as in follow on this season again next season and the year after he, he's a bit of an enigma this year insofar as you find it hard to judge him or find it hard to give an honest opinion on him as in long term because of what you've seen in the last year and a half two years as in pre this explosiveness that he's shown this season so that kind of you have this thing in the back of your mind you don't want to say You'd be left with egg in your face, for example, if you said he's going to go out and outscore Haaland next year. But yeah, on the form he's on now, he is absolutely on a par with any striker in Europe, which is unbelievable to say. And it just shows the difference between a season and a season on and a season off in international football. Uh, or sorry, in, in Premier League football and in international football, this was a guy, what were they joking about? He got 19 minutes or something for England in the World Cup. Yeah. Like 19 mm. minutes and yet there he is out and he is absolutely smashing goals in left, right and centre. So does he have the kind of ceiling, as Dave was saying there, as in the longevity and the, ce- the, the a ceiling to improve and keep delivering? I definitely think he does. But the only question mark I would have is where was that two years ago, one year ago, when it just he looked dead flat? If there was a dead cert reason for it, yeah. I'd and do you know what I see, Neil? Do you know he looks like a player that he plays according to the environment around him. So if there's a happy camp, he'll play well. If there's not a happy camp and he's a bit and everything's a bit dull and and think he kind of goes into a shell. And that's how it has gone with that team for the, yeah. for the last way. When Solskjaer came in, all of a sudden there was a, a bit of happiness, a bit of bubbling underneath the surface and he yeah. started to perform again. Uh, obviously, when it started to go a little bit slack on him and uh, even with Mourinho, he, he wasn't so great. So I, I just wonder if that's kind of, you get players like that. So, uh, But listen, he's doing he, unbelievably he well. He wouldn't be on his own there, Deroy. You look at Fernandez, like the feel good yeah. factor around Fernandez at the moment is unbelievable. He went to come in, he was on fire. He went through a dip where he just wasn't at it. And now him and Rashford are both probably playing the best football they've ever played. So, yeah, that would that would follow suit with that. The other thing I will say as well is he seems to be getting a lot of goals when instead of being wide left through the middle now, when Veghorst comes out and he went up top and all of a sudden he's getting on the end of everything. So that little bit of a positional change, a little bit of freedom seems to be paying off as well for him. And, you know, he's taking all his chances. Yeah, there's been a lot going on in that club, especially behind the scenes. So you just hope that that's going to settle now, uh, especially like Liverpool. You hope that if there is a buyer, that it's the right buyer and you couldn't trust the Glazers to sell it to the right person so, uh, or right people. OK, we're going to finish off on VAR, Dave, and we're not going to spend too long on it because uh, it's a pain in the hole, really, isn't it? Yeah, Um you know, I'm. I kind of made me bed that it's here. I can't. I'd be shocked if they over if they turn their back on it. Like I'd be shocked. I think and it's it not was, var. It's the officials, yeah, really. Exactly. And I seen a funny quote. Now we, we might bring it up next week because it was sent in a WhatsApp group. But, but you know the way there's could be so much fake quotes from people. But Mark Halsey said something pretty damning about ten from a famous time that if it is kind of true, or I'll see if it was from somewhere else. Like I'd say very much allegedly, but. There is kind of, uh, he's alluding to that there is a, a spot betting is rife 
And uh, now this was this quote was from several years ago, and you're kind of right. going, Jesus, maybe there is a reason for some of this madness yeah. for certain corners and throw-ins, and you'd be amazed, and you can't believe these some of these people have ended up in court. It's a dodgy quote. You can type up anything and put it beside somebody, and because it was seven or eight years ago, oh, this definitely was true. I would doubt it because I see some funny quotes from they even like Klopp, and you're like, he never said that once, but the lads will yeah, put it up to yeah, wind you yeah, up. So yeah. watch that space, but. Like you said there, Roy, it's 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 the it's the people behind it. And once again, they get a week off and then they're back again two weeks later. I'm sorry, like, you know, sack them, you know, see you next season, refresh yourself, go back down the leagues and work your way back up. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe start luring a few ex players coming near the end. Listen, get a few of them doing refs courses and see are the interest. Absolutely. We want to see Peter you know? Crouch out there. Exactly, you know, because um <laughs> They know some of the basics and they know some of the common knowledge and they know some of, I know why you went down. I know that okay. was a dummy. Now, and this is where I want to test your common uh, mm-hmm. common knowledge uh, mm-hmm. because we had a game the other night. It was Manchester City versus Arsenal. Dave, uh, goalkeeper comes out, Ederson, jumps into, was a Saka or Nketiah? And I think it might be an Nketiah and uh, gave away a penalty. Mm. Was it a penalty? Yes or no? I would have said, yeah. Neil? Yeah. So, Shea Given comes out at halftime and blatantly it's not a goal, it's not a penalty. The commentator, the co-commentator, I don't know who it was, uh, blatantly not a penalty. He's he's going out to block him. Where is he supposed to go? His momentum is going that way. Never a penalty. These are professional footballers. Mm. If that's a, a defender who goes in and his momentum carries him through... It's a penalty. So special treatment for goalkeepers. So I'm not sure that professional footballers, it's a bit like going in to be a coach. They're blurred by their playing career. Potentially, but then arguably the best ref at the World Cup was the next professional footballer, the Polish guy, light years away. So it's about trying to get the top talent. But like in everything, Roy, everything is a little bit dirty and murky and politics get in the way. And some of these lads get the badge because of probably who they know up there. And it's not because they're necessarily the best. So if you have to look at the very top, who's running the show? Some people were quite happy with Harold Webb. Obviously, now the the water's getting muddied. And now they might have to talk to him and say, what's going on? Are you afraid to sack some of your mates? You know, because some of what's going on is not good enough. Um, yeah. but I think that I think the punishment or for the want of a better word is not harsh enough for blatantly bad calls especially when you have three or four different camera angles and 20 different replays and you're still making a mess of it yeah Neil I'm going to give you probably a minute here on this This uh, we've seen it all the time they're Shea given it's like goalkeeper union no way it's yeah. a penalty there's a referees who will have a referee union. You see that even down at amateur football where you, referees will never get in trouble for how they act or what they do or what they say and they'll always be backed up by their referees. Is this ever going to change, really? It's a hard one to change and i give you a great example. Let Graeme Soonis be VAR and no tackle would ever be a foul. Let Shea Given be VAR and no goalkeeper will ever get sent off for a blatant foul and let you know any centre-half that was ever worth its salt back in the 80s be a, a, a def- you know, no defender would ever be for virtual assault from Vinnie Jones to feckin' Roy Keane. <laughs> so you're never going to get the perfect balance, but they have to find a system that we can keep going back every few weeks 
and pulling it apart. Uh, I understand one or two of them, say like the Brentford game where and Brentford and Arsenal where the ball popped across the box several times and then they went, oh, he forgot to draw the lines. I kind of get that because there was a hell of a lot going on there and they don't want to stop the game for 10 minutes. But mm. the ones like that for Arsenal game where it's, you know, a fairly blatant one, it's a quick decision. They have to start getting them right and they have to, uh, they have to get them right on a regular basis because I'm sick of sitting here going, that's an unbelievable decision. Happened in the Liverpool game the other night where uh, Robbo, remember Dave was saying about the handbags, they grabbed each other's neck and then the lads are out next week going, well, how was Casemiro sent off for grabbing yeah. his neck? So use the technology, use it quickly, use it efficiently and then move on and then so be it, whatever it is after that, eliminate the big errors and I think most of us could live with it. Yeah, and you're dead okay. right there, Roy. The cons- or you're dead right near the consistency. Like he literally practically did the exact same thing as Casemiro. Tough. That's the precedent that's been set. He's got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen. We, I think we, that'll be talked about for a couple of years to come. Um, uh, ho- hopefully, we'll have they, a separate they... VAR podcast if anyone is wants to <laughs> suffer, suffer uh, 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 needles in their eyeballs. Um, okay listen Dave Neil thanks very much Uh, thanks very much everyone out there listening and uh, listen we're coming to the the busy part of the season this is where it gets fun Uh, we're coming to a town near you are we going on tour or something well that (laughs) might happen Dave never know know. we're on the way (laughs) we'll see you next week thanks for listening